Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Do you like your web history being seen and sold to advertisers? No? Me neither. Get ExpressVPN right now at expressvpn.com slash Ben. We'll jump into the news momentarily. First, I want to announce to you that the Daily Wire is joining with the New Civil Liberties Alliance, as well as the Federalists, to sue the federal government over censorship. The U.S. State Department is funding the development, testing, and marketing of censorship technology used to suppress First Amendment-protected activity by conservative media outlets like the Daily Wire. The State Department uses its Global Engagement Center, the GEC, to finance the development and promotion of censorship technology and enterprises, including organizations like NewsGuard and the Global Disinformation Index. Those government-funded, government-promoted censorship technologies and enterprises target conservative media outlets, including the Daily Wire. Their goal is to paint us as unreliable and therefore to push advertisers away from advertising on programs like this one, websites like the Daily Wire, websites like The Federalist that is being pushed by the State Department. That is an ongoing problem. We are suing not for money. We are suing for an injunction. And so if you want to help us fight the censorship that you are seeing from the federal government, the kind of censorship that on a broader level has reached over into, for example, the FBI and other government organizations coordinating with social media in order to shut off particular stories. This is just one iteration of that via the State Department. If you wish to help us out, you should become a subscriber at dailywire.com slash subscribe. That is the way that you can help. So that is an ongoing lawsuit, just like we sued the Biden administration over the pathetic and ridiculous OSHA vax mandate. We are now suing the U.S. State Department for an injunction so they will stop their censorship regime. Alrighty. Meanwhile, I know a little bit about the kinds of speech that are generally welcome on campus. I've been banned from quite a few campuses, including DePaul University. I've spoken at more than a few campuses at which violence broke out over my speeches, including Cal State University at Los Angeles, Penn State University of California at Berkeley. I also know that were I a student at any of these universities, and if I said as a student what I routinely say as a speaker, I would undoubtedly be dragged before the administration and hit with some sort of sanctions. I'd be responsible for microaggressions, for saying things like Western culture is superior and men are not women. I'd be responsible for harmful language for saying that human beings ought to be judged not based on race, but on merit. These are the kinds of things that are verboten on college campuses all over the country, which is why free speech has never been a top of mind issue for many of the administrators on college campus. Instead, sensitivity has. But apparently at the top universities in America, all of those sensitivities disappear magically for one group, specifically Jews. Yesterday, House Republicans held a hearing in which the heads of major universities were grilled regarding the rise of anti-Semitism on their campuses over the past few weeks. We've been talking about that spike in anti-Semitism for weeks, from threats of violence to near riots, from tearing down hostage posters to openly Jew-hating slurs being promulgated in public. Some of the students from these universities explained the situation on campus. Here, for example, was a student named Bella Ingber of New York University. What is it like to be a Jew at NYU? Being a Jew at NYU is walking to class and passing torn and defaced posters of innocent hostages with the words occupier and murderer written across their faces. It is going to Bope's library to study and being interrupted by unauthorized protests where students and faculty call for a globalized intifada revolution, an incitement to violence against Jews everywhere, and a call for the annihilation of the Jewish state and my friends and family who live there. Being a Jew at NYU is being surrounded by students and faculty who support the murder and kidnapping of Jews because after all, as they say, resistance is justified when people are occupied. It is being surrounded by social justice warriors and self-proclaimed feminists whose calls for justice end abruptly when the rape victims are Jews. Being a Jew at NYU has meant being physically assaulted in NYU's library by a fellow student while I was wearing an American Israeli flag 
and having my attacker still roam freely throughout the campus. Being a Jew at NYU is experiencing how diversity, equity, and inclusion is not a value that NYU extends to its Jewish students. She, of course, is exactly right on all of that. Here is Ayal Kobe at the University of Pennsylvania describing similar experiences at that top university. I love Penn. I've wanted to attend this university since before I can remember. I'm here because the Penn I attend today is unrecognizable from the Penn I once used to know. Penn, once renowned for groundbreaking discoveries like the mRNA vaccine, is now a chilling landscape of hatred and hostility. Our university, revered for its pursuit of knowledge, has devolved into an arena where Jewish students tiptoe through their days, uncertain and unsafe. The situation at Penn has escalated into a full-blown crisis, with students openly asserting their intentions to proceed with plans with or without university permission. Penn's ambivalence fuels a crisis that has shattered my academic sanctuary. Policies meant to safeguard us have become hollow promises. And let us be clear, if they fail Jewish students today, tomorrow they will fail the rest of us. Nonetheless, I refuse to go back to 1939 when Jews had to hide their religious symbols and hide who they are due to the intimidation and harassment of us. I used to think this was nonsense, fear-mongering, until I was made aware that Penn recommended to students, quote, not wear clothing slash accessories related to Judaism. Now imagine that black students had arrived in Congress to describe similar experiences, calls for genocide, celebration of terror and rape against black Americans, physical threats against black Americans. Does anyone think these respective university presidents would have sat grinning at the lawmakers who were quizzing them on their actions. That's precisely what happened yesterday. Again, if you want to say that everyone should just be less sensitive, whatever, anything goes on campus, that's one thing. But that's not what is happening on these college campuses where sensitivity is extended to everyone except for the Juden. Here was Representative Elise Stefanik of New York questioning the presidents of University of Pennsylvania, Harvard University, and MIT about genocidal language chanted on campus. Listen to these responses. It's a long clip. We're going to stop and start it because there's a lot here. Dr. Kornbluth, does M- at MIT, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate MIT's code of conduct or rules regarding bullying and harassment? Yes or no? If targeted at individuals not making public statements. Yes or no? Calling for the genocide of Jews does have, not constitute bullying and harassment? I have not heard calling for the genocide for Jews on our campus. But you've heard chants for intifada. I've heard chants, which can be anti-Semitic depending on the context, when calling for the elimination of oh, the Jewish in the context. people. So those would not be according to the MIT's mm, code of conduct or rules? That would be um, investigated of, as harassment if pervasive and severe. Ms. McGill, at Penn, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's rules or code of conduct? Yes or no? If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment. Yes. I am asking, specifically calling for the genocide of Jews, does that constitute bullying or harassment? If it is directed and severe or pervasive, it is harassment. So the answer is yes. It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. It's a context-dependent decision. That's your testimony today. Calling for the genocide of Jews is depending upon the context. That is not bullying or harassment. This is the easiest question to answer yes, Ms. McGill. So is your testimony that you will not answer yes? If it... uh, 
is if the yes speech or becomes, no. if the speech becomes conduct, it can be harassment. Yes. Conduct meaning committing the act of genocide. The speech is not harassment. This is unacceptable, Ms. McGill. I'm going to give you one more opportunity for the world to see your answer. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's code of conduct when it comes to bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be harassment. The answer is yes. Can be. And Dr. Gay, at Harvard, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be, depending on the context. What's the context? context. Hmm. Targeted as an individual. Targeted as, at an individual. It's targeted at Jewish students, Jewish individuals. Do you understand your testimony is dehumanizing them? Do you understand that dehumanization is part of anti-Semitism? I will ask you one more time. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? Anti-Semitic rhetoric. When it and is it anti-Semitic rhetoric? Anti-Semitic rhetoric when it crosses into conduct that amounts to bullying, harassment, intimidation, that is actionable conduct and we do take action. So the answer is yes, that calling for the genocide of Jews violates Harvard Code of Conduct, correct? Again, it depends on the context. It does not depend on the context. The answer is yes, and this is why you should resign. These are unacceptable answers across the board. I mean, they're amazing answers because, again, just substitute the language. Now, we're not talking here whether the First Amendment protects activity. For example, like the KKK marching through Skokie. The First Amendment does protect that activity. We are talking about college campuses where there are strict speech codes that exist on every one of these college campuses. So if you don't want to have speech codes, don't have speech codes. But if you are going to, it is weird that it only applies to everyone except for one group. Can you imagine going at Harvard University and leading a rally saying death to all black people? All black people should be killed. Can you imagine that not being punished by Harvard University with expulsion? Can you imagine a University of Pennsylvania some sort of rally where everyone is yelling at the top of their lungs, death to gay people, all gay people should die. And, th and that not being punishable at University of Pennsylvania. But when you chant from the river to the sea, Palestine should be free or intifada revolution, there is only one solution. When you chant those things, that is now considered perfectly acceptable at these schools, quote unquote, dependent on context. Now, what's amazing is that the context very often includes conduct. When they say things like, we're not worried about speech, but when it bleeds over into conduct, we have a problem. The, the truth is that depending on the conduct, they're fine with that too. How many students have been suspended or expelled for actively harassing students who are Jewish? For lining up outside libraries and pounding on the doors in acts of intimidation. And all of this is ridiculous. Listen to the amount of obfuscation that they are putting forward. Listen to the amount of spin. Can you imagine during the Black Lives Matter protests, anyone saying something remotely similar? as a university president about any of this? It's difficult to imagine these icons of sensitivity and diversity, equity and inclusion would be nearly so sanguine about slurs against any other racial or ethnic minority in America. Simply put, they wouldn't. One can make the case for free speech on campus. I can and I do. But one cannot pretend that universities protect students against harassment and then soft pedal Holocaust level rhetoric. These university presidents don't even like free speech, but they're perfectly fine. Not only mouthing language, they certainly don't believe about free speech. 
and then smiling while they violate these prescriptions. So why are they so sanguine? There are two reasons, and we'll get to those in just one second. First, what do green eggs and your holiday family dinner have in common? They both need a ham to be complete. You can get a spiral cut heritage pork masterpiece from Good Ranchers for free with any Good Rancher subscription. That's a whopping $99 value that you can get for free on your first order. Simply subscribe to any box. You'll get your free holiday ham included in any order. The subscription is amazing. You get 25 bucks off every order, a free gift in every third box and free shipping on express delivery. Good Ranchers has something for every meat eater in your life. We've got award winning boxes of full steakhouse quality American meat. They've sent boxes to all of my producers. They cannot stop talking about the quality of the steak and the chicken. As you can tell, that ham offer, not kosher, but they have sent me like one special shipment of kosher just so that I can actually taste what their meat is like. Let me tell you, it is fantastic. The best part is knowing exactly where your meat comes from. That is a local American farm. Head on over to GoodRanchers.com. Subscribe today with code Shapiro. Claim your free limited stock holiday ham before they sell out. Act fast. This offer won't last forever. Order before December 11th for guaranteed delivery by Christmas. Head on over to GoodRanchers.com and use code Shapiro when you subscribe to get your free 10-pound holiday ham. Don't settle for the same old holiday fare. Elevate your feast with Good Ranchers this year. Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, a child's life is molded by his or her home, school, friends, community. A positive experience in all these areas helps build a healthy child. Cars for Kids, that's Cars with a K, is a registered nonprofit organization aimed at giving children the tools to succeed in life. If you have a car, It's just sitting in your driveway, taking up space. You should consider donating it to Cars for Kids. You know Cars for Kids. They've got that jingle, right? The 1-877-CARS-FOR-KIDS-K-A-R-S. You know it. If you're tired of looking at that old car in your driveway or hearing your spouse complain about it, why not let Cars for Kids take care of it for you? Here's how it works. Visit their website at carsforkids.org. Let them take care of it from there. The whole process only takes two minutes. Cars for Kids will schedule a pickup at a time that's convenient for you. If you don't have a car, you can still help. Cars for Kids accepts non-cash donations of school supplies, clothing, sports equipment, and more. So what exactly are you waiting for? Call now or visit carsforkids.org slash Ben to get the ball rolling today. That's Cars with a K, the number four at carsforkids.org slash Ben. That's carsforkids.org slash Ben. It's more on this in just one moment. First, you've heard me talk about how important it is to have a VPN to protect your online privacy before. Choosing a VPN you trust is equally as important. Now, I actually research the show's sponsors because I want to recommend brands I believe in. I can say with full confidence, ExpressVPN is the best VPN on the market. For starters, ExpressVPN does not log your online activity. Lots of cheap or free VPNs make money by selling your data to advertisers, but ExpressVPN doesn't do that. They've even developed a technology called Trusted Server that makes their VPN servers incapable of storing any data at all. ExpressVPN also uses Lightway. That's a new VPN protocol they engineered to make user speeds faster than ever. I've tried a lot of VPNs in the past. They can sometimes slow your connection, but... ExpressVPN is always blazing fast and lets me stream videos in HD quality with zero buffering. Not to mention, ExpressVPN, really, really easy to use. You don't need any technical skills to set it up. You just fire up the app, you tap one button, and now you're connected. Even your grandparents could do it. I'm not just the one saying this. It's Business Insider, The Verge, a lot of other tech journals. They rate ExpressVPN as the number one VPN on planet Earth. Protect yourself with the VPN I know and trust. Use my link at expressvpn.com slash Ben today. Get an extra three months free on that one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash Ben, expressvpn.com slash Ben to learn more. So as we're saying, there are two reasons why the left is so comfortable on campus with excluding the Jews when it comes to all of their language about rhetoric, diversity, harassment, all the rest. First. The left and university presidents are almost the platonic ideal of intellectual leftists believe that Jews are not part of the intersectional coalition of oppression. By leftist logic, Jews are part of the superstructure of power since all success is merely a reflection of hierarchies of power and Jews are disproportionately successful. 
Success equals power. Power equals bad. Anti-Semitism is merely the ugliest guise for the oppressor-oppressed binary, but it isn't the only one. Just ask the newest white Americans, Asian Americans, on university campuses who are now white because they scored too high on their SATs. Thus, it's okay to discriminate against them. Then there's the second reason. The left really, really hates Israel. The left hates Israel because, like American Jews, Israel is too successful in the region in which it is located. Israel, according to the left, is a colonialist outpost of the West. The West is evil because it is too successful. The West is therefore exploitative and oppressive. Therefore, Israel is exploitative and oppressive as a outlet of the West in the Middle East. Hence, the deep and passionate attempt by the left to pretend that anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism are unrelated. The left does not want to be perceived as openly anti-Semitic. They want to pretend that they are actually tolerant and diverse. But they understand that anti-Zionism can provide a heartening opportunity to oppose Jewish and Western flourishing. Hence, the left's rabid attachment to the idea that calls for Israel's destruction are somehow not anti-Semitic, but actually a reflection of a more universalistic humanitarian creed. Sure, that creed would result in the death of millions of Jews and the dominance of radical Muslim terror all over the Middle East, but that doesn't matter. After all, Israel is the real problem because the West is the real problem. And we know that's true because, again, the West is successful and because Israel is successful and success equals power and power equals exploitation. According to the left, radical Muslim regimes that impoverish and oppress their citizens aren't worth one bit of attention. I mean, they're poor, which means they're victimized, which means that they're the oppressed. Israel, by contrast, being tolerant, diverse, open and successful, ought to be destroyed. That's why yesterday, in a subtle bit of maneuvering, Harvard President Claudine Gay, among the other college presidents, acknowledged that Israel does have a right to exist, but not as a Jewish state, which is like saying that Ireland has a right to exist, but not as an Irish country. President Gay, do you believe that Israel has a right to exist as a Jewish nation? I agree that the state of Israel has the right to exist. Ms. McGill, same question. I agree, Chairwoman Fox, the state of Israel has the right to exist. Dr. Kornbluth. Absolutely. Israel has the right to exist. Israel has the right to exist, but that's not the question. You notice that the chairwoman is actually asking as a Jewish state, which is the definition of Israel. And all three of those college presidents ignore that. They're doing that for a reason, because Israel is bad. So if Israel is a Jewish state, then it doesn't have the right to exist by that definition. So what ought to be done? Bill Ackman, the CEO of Pershing Square and a major donor to Harvard, wrote that the college presidents, quote, must all resign in disgrace. If a CEO of one of our companies gave a similar answer, he or she would be toast within the hour. Why has anti-Semitism exploded on campus and around the world? Because of leaders like Presidents Gay, McGill, and Kornbluth, who believe genocide depends on the context. To think that these are leaders of Ivy League institutions that are charged with the responsibility to educate our best and brightest. Ackman is right, of course, but that isn't nearly sufficient. The universities across America are corrupt through and through. Their endorsement of DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, has been a curse to reason and decency. Their politics are vile. Those politics also make universities corrupt factories of moral depravity, which means that first, every major donor to these universities should, like Bill Ackman, think about cutting funding. Of course, some of us were on this bandwagon years ago, like 20 years ago. I wrote a book titled Brainwashed, How Universities Indoctrinate America's Youth. When I was still at UCLA, I was 19 years old. The book came out when I was 20 in 2004. In it, I wrote that conservatives ought to, quote, pull money from universities. I also said that tactic wouldn't be nearly sufficient, that other sources, including radical Islamic regimes, would fill the gap, which is what happens. Saudi Arabia, Qatar, there are plenty of places who are willing to pour their money into these universities because those universities very often reflect their values. That means the universities ought to be hit with another tactic, 
Business people must stop falling for the credentialing scam that universities represent. They ought to be hiring bright kids out of high school directly and giving them internships or hiring from solid state schools. That's what these universities are anyway. They are just factories for diplomas. And the entire idea here is that if you get a really good SAT score and you go to Harvard, this means you're smart. Well, I can tell you're smart just by the SAT score and your GPA coming out of high school. I don't need you to go $200,000 into debt and be indoctrinated in queer theory in order for me to recognize that you're a smart person. Instead, businesses should just hire people out of high school if they have good SAT scores and good grades, for example. Finally, parents need to seriously think about not sending their kids to these universities at all, especially in the liberal arts. They're indoctrination mills for truly immoral garbage. If you want a case in point as to how bad these universities are, here's actually a great case in point. Young liberal Jews. A whole generation of young Jewish kids have been sent to university by their parents who believed in the upwardly mobile American dream. A lot of Jewish parents out there who say that their great dream is to get their kid into a place like Harvard. There, these kids were then turned against their parents and their roots. The New York Times has a fascinating story today about many young Jews, meaning, of course, people who were born Jewish but have nothing to do with actual Jewish practice or identity, as even the Times recognizes. And the New York Times says that many of these young Jews are, quote, abandoning Israel in the name of leftist ideology. Here is the Times, quote, Mark Kornblatt prepared uneasily last month for his daughter Louisa to arrive for 10 days with the family. Her homecomings once brought the comfort of movie nights and card games, but this year was different. He and his wife Judith had moved away from Madison, Wisconsin to live in Tel Aviv where they felt a real sense of belonging as Jews. Around the same time, their daughter, attending graduate school at the University of California, Berkeley, came to oppose the existence of Israel as a Jewish state. That daughter, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, sometimes uses the pronouns they them. Shocker. It's all the uni thing. It's all one thing. Everyone who supports trans rights also supports Palestine. Everyone who supports Palestine also supports abortion. It's the uni left-wing thing. According to the Times, at Berkeley, she read Audre Lorde, Mariam Kama, Ruth Wilson Gilmore, and other black feminist thinkers who prompted her to consider questions around power, privilege, and whiteness. Miss Kornblatt came to feel that her emotional ties to Jewish statehood undermined her vision for collective liberation. Over the last year, she became increasingly involved in pro-Palestine activism, including through Jewish Voice for Peace, an anti-Zionist activist group, and the If Not Now movement. I don't think the state of Israel should ever have been established, she said. It's based on this idea of Jewish supremacy, and I'm not on board with that. Actually, the concept of Israel is based on, you know, Jewish existence. But that's really what leftism opposes for all the reasons we have talked about. Universities are a disaster area. Full stop. Parents should pull their kids unless those kids are prepared for the raging hellstorm of foolishness and immorality they are about to be taught. Okay, in just one second, we are going to get to the latest on the Israel-Hamas war and the battle inside Congress over anti-Semitism. First, in a world filled with uncertainties, you need to be prepared for any possibility. You need my Patriot Supply. Honest to goodness, it, people are looking around and they are figuring out that this is a pretty unfriendly world and that bad things can happen. I mean, that's putting aside natural disasters. You need a good food supply. My Patriot Supply is your trusted partner for emergency preparedness. They're the country's largest preparedness company. They're more than equipped to stock your shelves. So whether it's a natural disaster, a sudden emergency, or unforeseen circumstances, My Patriot Supply's high-quality food storage solutions ensure that you and your loved ones are always well-fed no matter what comes your way. Right now, when you go to preparewithben.com, you'll get 200 bucks off their best-selling three-month emergency food kit. This kit provides delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners that last up to 25 years in storage. You can even customize your supply with a mega protein kit with real meat or options that are gluten-free. These kits also provide over 2,000 calories every day and are simple to prepare. Just add some water and heat and then eat. 
If you order by 3 p.m., your food kit will ship fast on the same day with free shipping. Invest in your safety and well-being by securing your food storage today. Go to preparewithben.com. Get 200 bucks off your three-month emergency food supply. Go to preparewithben.com right now. That's preparewithben.com. Okay, so in the halls of Congress, people having a similarly tough time actually taking on anti-Semitism. There's some of this actually from both sides of the aisle. So, for example, Republicans yesterday put forward a resolution condemning anti-Zionism as anti-Semitism. This led Representative Jerry Nadler to suggest that anti-Zionism is not anti-Semitism. Now, the way that you get, the reason he's doing this is because there are people inside his own coalition who wish that Israel would just disappear, that it would be destroyed. That'd be like Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib. And he doesn't wish to condemn them. So he's going to pretend that anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism are totally unrelated. The way that he gets out of this particular box, since obviously Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib are anti-Semites and hate Jews and Israel, the way he gets out of this box is he suggests, well, you know, there are some Jews who are anti-Zionist. This is the favorite tactic. And the people he cites are Satmar Hasidim, which is a sect of ultra-Orthodox, who, by the way, when it says they're anti-Zionist, let's be clear what they mean by anti-Zionist. What Satmar Hasidim, this ultra-Orthodox sect, which is a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of even the Orthodox, what exactly is their belief system? Their belief system is that there should, in fact, be a Jewish country in Israel, but it should be a Davidic monarchy with the reestablishment of the Third Temple. Not quite the anti-Zionism of, you know, the Palestinians who wish to see every Jew obliterated from the region. The Satmar Hasidim don't believe in a secular state of Israel. They believe in a Jewish theocracy. So if you're talking about these people as though what they actually want is for all Jews to be removed from the region. uh, No, actually, what they want is for there to be a Jewish monarchic theocracy in the land, complete with high priesthood and a third temple built right now instead of what they think of as an obstacle to that, the secular Jewish state of Israel. That's what you're talking about. So you're playing a word game. When you say the Satmar Hasidim want the same thing as, for example, Rashida Tlaib and Elhan Omar, that they're the same kind of quote-unquote anti-Zionist, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. That's like saying that somebody who wants a Christian theocracy in the United States is, is in the same camp as someone who wants to tear down the government of the United States and replace it with a communist dictatorship. Not quite the same thing. In any case, here is Jerry Nadler. And what he's really doing here, obviously, is he's covering for Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar and other members of the Democratic Party who don't actually like Israel and don't like Jews. Unfortunately, this resolution does absolutely nothing to genuinely counter the scourge of anti-Semitism, nor does it help bring us together with the unity of purpose that this topic merits. Rather, it is another attempt in a long series of veiled efforts by the GOP to weaponize Jewish lives for political gains. It is another partisan gotcha game that amounts to cheap value signaling, not serious action. But if there ever was a time for real action, it is now. Today, in the face of the largest increase in anti-Semitism, both violent and virulent in this nation's history, we have a clear choice. We can abuse this moment to try to inflict inter-party political damage, or we can rise to the occasion and do something real and powerful to actually help the Jewish community. Uh, well, you know, what's one thing that I noticed? I noticed that Jerry and Adler, when he says, well, you know, we shouldn't look to inflict intra-party damage on one another over anti-Semitism. Again, this is the same guy who also did not vote to censure Rashida Tlaib over her comments with regard to Israel, which are complete anti-Semitic lies. He says he vehemently disagrees with her, but he has not called her, for example, an anti-Semite, which she clearly, clearly is. So I'll take my uh, my tips on anti-Semitism from someplace else. Meanwhile, Depres- Democratic Representative Louis Frankel of Florida, same sort of thing. 
She also won't condemn Pramila Jayapal, who spent yesterday basically trying to walk back her comments that rape was, you know, not that big a deal when it's against Jewish ladies in Israel. Pramila Jayapal, how she answered the questions by my colleague Dana Bash on Sunday on this. Did that play any part in your push to in your push to draft this resolution? Well, this really has been in the works since, as I said, really, it's been in the works for many months when we started hearing the stories from the women in Ukraine. And then, of course, again, this now with Hamas and its atrocities. And and I try not to have my actions here be dictated by inartful comments by other members. This is a much more serious issue uh, than one member. Mm. Uh, and uh, it has to be said by all. Rape and sexual assault as a tool of war, as a weapon of war, is not acceptable. It's not hard for you to say this very eloquently and very clearly. Why is it for others? Now now you're asking me to be a psychiatrist or a psychologist. You know what? They have to answer for themselves. And I'll answer for myself, but I do think I really I speak for the overwhelming majority, Republicans, Democrats here, people uh, with good hearts. Sexual assault should not be a tool of of war, and it's not acceptable. It has having a rough time with the condemnation there, and uh, has to be called out. I don't understand why this is very tough. It really, really is not. And meanwhile, on the right side of the aisle, Thomas Massey put out what is pretty obviously an anti-Semitic meme yesterday. It was, a, it was a meme in which he compared American patriotism to Zionism. He said, Congress these days, American patriotism, it's the, it's the meme of Drake. You know, the, the, basically it's a binary meme, one where he's shunning a thing and one where he's giving it a thumbs up. This is Congress these days shunning American patriotism. Congress these days giving a thumbs up to Zionism. Okay? And obviously the idea here is that American patriotism is somehow directly opposed to Zionism. Now, there are a couple reads on this that are possible. There's the more charitable read which is that there are Democrats in the Democratic Party who, for example, don't like American patriotism, but they're okay with Zionism. And that's weird, and they should be okay with both. And then there's the read, which is the more obvious read, which is that American patriotism is somehow opposed to Zionism, that you can't be both an American patriot and a Zionist, which, of course, is ridiculous. I mean, just ridiculous, full-stop crazy, considering that that has been the mainstream position in the United States since the birth of the state of Israel is being an American patriot and being, an Zionist, and being a Zionist, being in favor of the existence of a Jewish state of Israel, are not in, favor, uh, are not in conflict in any way, shape, or form. And you can read it in, in either of those two ways. There's the more charitable way in which the argument is that Congress should not be shunning American patriotism. They should be embracing American patriotism in the same way that many Democrats embrace Zionism. That's the more charitable way. The other way is that Representative Massey, who's voted alongside Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib with regard to any, any indication of support for Israel, actually just doesn't like Zionism. And so what he actually wants is for Congress to dismiss Zionism. And he's really saying the two are directly in conflict. The White House, you know, we're talking about scoring political points. So the White House immediately jumps on that. And the White House suggests that it's time for Republicans to condemn the Post. Herbie Ziskind of the White House said all Americans, including the House GOP leadership, should condemn this virulent anti-Semitism from a sitting member of Congress. So here's the deal. We should condemn anti-Semitism wherever it exists. If what Massey meant is the latter, which again, given his voting record, would not shock me, that American patriotism and Zionism are somehow in direct conflict, then yeah, that's anti-Semitism and it should be condemned. Also, what Pramila Jayapal did the other day, anti-Semitism should be condemned. This is not particularly tough. The fact that it is tough demonstrates once again, everything can be made a partisan issue, even hatred of Jews. Speaking of which, one of the things that's been lost in this entire 
in this entire fight between Israel and Hamas is the simple fact that there is a good side here and there is a bad side, and Hamas is the bad side. Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel yesterday, he gave a speech in which he, he was beside himself because he's pointing out that like, as the tales come out from October 7th of rape of women, by the way, reports of rape of men as well, which is just horrifying <laughs> on, a, on a weirdly different level. I mean, I know stories of things that are happening that happen to hostages that are not public knowledge at this point. And I got to tell you, it's way worse than anything you have heard. Way, way worse than anything you have heard. And the international community is still poo-pooing this and pretending that there's some sort of moral equivalence here. Netanyahu is beside himself yesterday speaking about this. The women's rights organizations to the human rights organizations. You've heard of the rape of Israeli women? Horrible atrocities, sexual mutilation? Where the hell are you? I expect all civilized leaders, governments, nations to speak up against this atrocity. Well, they're not going to. And the reason they're not going to is, again, because they have to have that moral equivalence. Israel is bad, and that means anything that is done against it is justified. In the Franz Fanon, oppressor, oppressed coalition of the wretched idea, the, the basic idea is that if you are a member of the oppressed class, you get to do whatever the hell you want to members of the so-called oppressor class. That's a, that's an, that, that has been a, a moral equation that has been done by a number of insanely anti-Semitic and self-hating Jewish people. And it's totally, it's totally wild, but it has become mainstream. It has become absolutely mainstream. By the way, it is worth noting at this point that Israel has actually hit a shocking number of terrorists, despite all of the talk about how Israel is not being specific enough in its attack. The reality is that according to the Israeli military, a leaked report from an off-the-record brief, briefing for foreign journalists suggests that Israel believes that of the roughly 15,000 people that Hamas has reported dead, 5,000 of them are terrorists, which is an amazing ratio, by the way, like way better than the United States in, for example, Iraq. Typically, Urban warfare means that for every terrorist you kill, you're probably going to kill three to four civilians because they embed with civilians. So Israel is being incredibly specific. And yet what's amazing about this is that even if you point that, like even the New York Times is now admitting that, even the New York Times is admitting that Israel hit like 5,000 terrorists in the course of killing 15,000 people. Again, their goal was to hit the 5,000 terrorists and they killed 15,000 because Hamas hides among civilians. And now... They're complaining that Israel hasn't killed enough terrorists. According to the Washington Post, quote, at least 5,000 Hamas militants have been killed, according to three Israeli security officials, leaving the majority of the group's estimated 30,000 strong military wing intact. Why do you think that is? Why do you think Israel hasn't killed all 30,000? The answer is because they are being considered in how they go about this war. It doesn't matter. The narrative is set and the media are going to keep pumping it out there that Israel is somehow the inhumane party in this conflict, which is truly an astonishing reversal of the truth. Okay, in just one second, we'll get to more fun and games on Capitol Hill. There was a hearing yesterday in Congress about trans women in sports, meaning dudes in sports, like the lady ballers situation. We'll get to that momentarily first. Now, I find it very difficult to get my daily intake of fruits and veggies that are necessary for you to live a healthy life. This is why I rely very heavily on balance of nature fruits and veggies. They're a great way to make sure that you're getting essential nutritional ingredients every single day. Balance of Nature uses an advanced cold vacuum process that encapsulates fruits and veggies into whole food supplements without sacrificing their natural antioxidants. The capsules are completely void of additives, fillers, extracts, synthetics, pesticides, or added sugar. The only thing in Balance of Nature's fruit and veggie capsules are, well, fruits and veggies. Right now, not only will my listeners get 35% off your first order, you'll now get a free fiber and spice supplement as well. Balance of Nature's fiber and spice supplement is a revolutionary fiber drink with a unique blend of 12 spices and whole foods. Whenever we travel, producer Zach brings Balance of Nature's fruits and veggie capsules on the road. Because again, 
That is the stuff that's keeping like me and my staff alive at this point. There's never been an easier way to make sure you're getting your daily dose of fruits and veggies experience. Balance of Nature for yourself today. Go to balanceofnature.com. Use promo code Shapiro for 35% off your first order as a preferred customer. Plus, get a free bottle of fiber and spice. That's balanceofnature.com. Promo code Shapiro. Get 35% off your first preferred order. Plus, free bottle of fiber and spice today. Also, you've heard me talk about how the elites think making Western society adopt multiculturalism is the only solution when actually that is the root cause of society's breakdown. Our society is actively in a self-flagellating identity crisis. It's no wonder we're seeing so much civil unrest and authoritarianism. Basic notions of right and wrong, justice, truth, reality, these are all being tossed out the window. Well, it's time to join Jonathan Pajo in the new four-part series, End of the World. He explains why the world as we know it is ending, how to survive it, how we can plant the seeds for the next world today. Jonathan Pajo is an icon carver, public speaker, YouTuber, and you'll know him because he's a good friend of Jordan Peterson. You might remember him from his profoundly illuminating comments in Jordan's Exodus series. Jonathan's an awesome dude, plus really, really brilliant and insightful. Now he's back. He will draw upon his deep knowledge of Christian tradition, stories, mythology, and history to explain the contradictions in our society, wacky phenomena, and how this spiral will reach its conclusion. In End of the World, you'll receive a thoughtful framework to make sense of these confusing times and a roadmap to lead us out of chaos and restore order. The first episode is available today exclusively at Daily Wire Plus. If you haven't become a member, this is the perfect time. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe to watch End of the World today. Also, Lady Ballers, our own movie, our first feature-length comedy, is the number one streaming movie on Rotten Tomatoes. You made it so, but if you've not seen Lady Ballers yet, now would be the time to jump on that Lady Ballers bandwagon. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe to watch Lady Ballers today. Okay, meanwhile... There was a lot of fun and games on Capitol Hill yesterday. There was a hearing on Capitol Hill about trans women in sports, meaning dudes competing with the ladies, you know, like our movie, Lady Ballers, the number one streaming movie on Rotten Tomatoes in America. Now, this led to an extraordinary exchange between Riley Gaines, who has a cameo in our film, Lady Ballers. Also, more famously, she is an NCAA swimmer who had to compete with Leah Thomas, who's a full-on dude, in the pool. And here she was in an exchange with Representative Summer Lee, in which Summer Lee basically suggests that Riley Gaines is some sort of transphobic terrible bigot, and Riley is having none of it. In terms of mental health, studies show that participating in youth sports is associated with lower rates of anxiety and depression, lower amounts of stress, higher self-esteem and confidence. Women must stop. Inclusion cannot be prioritized over safety and fairness. And Ranking Member Lee, if my testimony makes me transphobic, then I believe your opening monologue makes you a misogynist. Thank you. Uh, Madam Chair, excuse me, I move to have uh, the gentlewoman's words taken down. The committee will suspend. Madam Chair, she's engaging in personalities. Can I just ask how it's fair to be called transphobic? There's a thing. I would say men disguising themselves as women are engaging in personalities. Okay, I move to withdraw the point of order. So, uh, rejected. But Riley Gaines, of course, is exactly right. If the idea is that men ought to compete with women, how is that not misogynistic? And in fact, the misogyny is perfectly well on display. One of the witnesses here was the um, lawyer for the National Women's Law Center. She's a president, the president of this organization. Her name is President Fatima Goss-Graves. And uh, her answer to what should women do about the fact that, you know, bigger and stronger men are competing with them what should they do about that fact? And she's like, women should learn to lose to men gracefully. Uh, okay. I mean, <laughs> it's hard to think of something more misogynist than this, exactly, but okay. 
And success in school sports depends on a whole range of factors, including how hard you work and coaching and access to really good resources and facilities. And trans students participate in sports for the same reason as their kids, because it is fun, because it creates belonging and community, because it teaches so much about persistence mm. and leadership oh. and, and discipline, unless they learn to lose gracefully, hopefully, and often they learn to win with dignity, hopefully. Um, they learn to do the sort of work that means you have higher grades and stay connected to school. I want every kid to have that chance, to have the chance to play. Uh, the, the dystopian, the, this, the dystopianism of women like Fatima Gosgraves smiling. Oh, and that's why women should learn to get their asses kicked by men. And that's really what's going to make this a better, more tolerant, diverse, and sustainable world. Oh, my God. It's the, the, the smiling is what really does it. AOC had her own defense of, uh, of trans women. She said, well, if we ban men, then we're going to have to check genitals in the locker room. Uh, you know what I noticed is that there are d in the women's locker room when men are competing with women. That's a thing that I noticed and that all the women also noticed, AOC. There was a proposed ban on trans athletes that originally allowed for genital examinations on minors in order to, quote, unquote, protect women. Is that correct? Unfortunately, yes. And so we're seeing here in this guise, under the guise of not only trying to further marginalize trans women and girls, we are talking about opening up all women and girls to genital examinations when they are under age. That's right. Potentially just because someone can point to someone and say, I don't think you're a girl. That's correct. And we're saying this in an environment of a post-Dobbs America where states are criminalizing access to abortion and want nothing more oh, than God, she's data so on women to figure out when, who's getting a menstrual cycle, who doesn't have one. And it's, we're man. supposed to believe that this is going to make us better. She's such a bad safer. actress. She's such a bad actress. Uh, like with the pencil. In any case, should we just point out here that actually you don't have to do genital examinations on anyone, you just have to present under Ohio law, which is what she's referring to, an original copy of a birth certificate. It is the reason why, for example, we should not be having genderless birth certificates because these things are actually quite important. Because the alternative is dudes playing with the ladies and being in the locker room with the girls. You know, it's uncomfortable for 12-year-old girls having 12-year-old boys who pretend they are girls in the locker room or who believe they are girls in the locker room. And they have a right to feel uncomfortable about all that. What is amazing to me is when Republicans run from this culture issue. Like, this is such an obvious culture war win for Republicans. So there's sort of a, a fraught battle for second place that is going on right now inside the Republican primary. And I've said before, I, I'm a big fan of Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida. If the primaries were held today, I would vote for him in the primaries. I like Nikki Haley as well. I've said before, I thought she was an excellent UN ambassador. But I, I really think Nikki stepped on a rake right here. She was doing an interview yesterday in which she was asked about trans children or whatever. And her answer, which is, well, you know, if a, if a parent decide to trans a 12-year-old, then that's totally fine. That is not an acceptable answer. 
Another question is what care should be on the table when a 12-year-old child in this country assigned female at birth says, actually, I feel more comfortable living as a boy. What should the law allow the response to be? I think the law should stay out of it, and I think parents should handle it. This is a job for the parents to handle. And then when that child becomes 18, if they want to make more of a permanent change, they can do that. But I think up until then, we see with our teenage kids, they go through a lot during puberty. They go through a lot of confusion. They go through a lot of anxiety. They go through a lot of pressures. We should support them the whole way through, but we don't need to go and enforce something in schools. We don't need schools sitting there hiding from the parents Mm -hmm. what gender pronoun they're using. We don't need to have those conversations in schools. Those are conversations that should be had at home. Okay, she's right that schools should not be socially transitioning parents without the parents' knowledge. Also, parents should not be allowed to transition their 12-year-old kid. That's absurd. First of all, transition is the biggest euphemism in the entire world. You cannot transition a boy into a girl. It's not like transitioning. I'm struggling to even come up with an analogy. What else do you transition in life in this way? These folks act, I swear to God, they act as though this is like Dr. Seuss's The Sneetches, the star on, star off machine, but it's a d- on, d- off machine. Like That's not how any of this works. No, there should be full state bans on this sort of hormone treatment and surgery, period. Like this is, it's, it's medical malpractice. It is an act of mutilation and evil. So Nikki coming up short on that one. Okay, in just one second, we'll get to more fireworks from Congress, plus Joe Biden said something really interesting yesterday. I know it's shocking when he does that, but it's interesting in a bad way for him. First, the October 15th tax deadline, it has long come and gone. I know many of you might be dreading the stress of filing your taxes. I get it. Filing your taxes is a long, excruciating process. But if you fail to file, you'll start to pile those penalties on your tax debts today. That's why you need to check out Tax Network USA. The team at Tax Network USA has a track record of success. They've reduced tax debts for numerous clients, totaling over a billion dollars. Whether you're looking at a $10,000 or a $1 million tax debt, they can help you with a settlement. It doesn't matter if you haven't filed in one year, five years, even a whole decade. Tax Network USA is equipped to secure the best settlement for you. Their expert attorneys and tax professionals can help resolve all tax cases, no matter how they started. So don't let tax debt control your life any longer. Take the first step to resolving those tax issues by visiting taxnetworkusa.com Shapiro. Again, once you get behind the eight ball on those taxes, they start to accrue penalties. You can really spend the rest of your life fighting this stuff unless you get it resolved right now. This is why you should visit my friends over at taxnetworkusa.com slash Shapiro. That's taxnetworkusa.com slash Shapiro today. Taxnetworkusa.com slash Shapiro. Also, I got to tell you, the holidays are here, but that doesn't mean that holiday stress isn't arriving on your doorstep as well. If you need a better night's sleep, great solution for you, Beam's Dream Powder. Beam's Dream Powder contains a powerful all-natural blend of ingredients, including magnesium, L-theanine. It's not just your run-of-the-mill sleep aid. It's a concoction carefully crafted to help you slip into the sweet embrace of rest without the grogginess that often accompanies other sleep remedies. Sleep is the foundation of our mental and physical health. You have to have a consistent nighttime routine to function at your best. Today, my listeners get a special discount on Beam's Dream Powder. That's their best-selling hot cocoa for sleep with no added sugar. Now available in delicious flavors like cinnamon cocoa, chocolate peanut butter, and mint chip. Better sleep has never tasted better. Just mix Beam Dream into hot water or milk, stir or froth, and enjoy before bedtime. If you find yourself battling those bedtime blues, give it a shot. Your weary self will indeed thank you. If you want to try Beam's best-selling Dream Powder, take advantage of their biggest sale of the year. Get up to 50% off for a limited time when you go to shopbeam.com slash Ben. Discount auto apply to checkout. No code necessary. That's shopbeam.com slash Ben for up to 50% off. 
Okay, meanwhile, Chris Ray had a tough time on the Hill yesterday. Chris Ray is the head of the FBI, and he's not been doing an excellent job over the FBI. Between the reports of the FBI targeting certain types of Christians in the United States, certain types of Catholics in the United States, and the FBI targeting, for example, pro-life people, and the FBI's disproportionate resources spent on anyone who's wandering around the Capitol on January 6th, and the FBI's complete failure with regard to the Hunter Biden laptop in 2020, it's been a bad stretch for the FBI. Chris Ray was on the Hill, and uh, Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana read him the riot act over the FBI's failure to say that the Hunter Biden laptop was real, which the FBI full well knew during the 2020 election. These are very weak answers here from Chris Ray. Why didn't the FBI just say, hey, the, 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 the laptop's real? Why didn't you just tell everybody the laptop's real? We're not vouching for what's on it, but it's real. This isn't a, 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 a fiction. Well, I, I, as you might imagine, the FBI cannot, especially in a time like that, be talking about an ongoing investigation. Second, I would tell you that at least my understanding is that both the FBI folks involved in the conversations and the Twitter folks involved in the conversations both say that the FBI did not direct Twitter to uh, suppress. But others were story. in government. Well, I can't, again, I can't speak to others in government. Now, that's part of the point that I was trying to make because the Fifth yes, Circuit's sir, But opinion, you're the FBI. You're not part of the White House and part of Homeland Security. You're not supposed to be political. You see all this controversy going on. Why didn't the FBI say, time out, folks. We're not getting in the middle of this, but the laptop's real. Again, we have to be very careful about what we can say, especially in the middle of uh, an election season, because that's precisely some of the problems that led to my predecessor's uh, negative findings from the inspector general. Did you? OK, but that's not right, because, again, failure to say the true thing because your predecessor said not true things. That's not the same thing. Again, actively involving yourself in an election cycle in which you announce that your activity your activity is ongoing, which is what James Comey did with regard to Hillary Clinton. A few days from the election in 2016, he said, we're reopening the investigation because we found this laptop. He didn't have to announce that because that was about his activity. But if the FBI knows for a fact that a narrative is false and that it's being promulgated by one of the campaigns and the media and other parts of the government, and the FBI knows that, it is in fact an act or omission that is material to the election for them not to say we know the laptop is real. That's ridiculous. Either way, you are, quote unquote, interfering. But on one side, you are, quote unquote, interfering. But on behalf of a true thing, that's not the same thing as what James Comey did in 2016. Meanwhile, Chris Ray said, oh, yeah, by the way, even though there are still court cases pending that suggest that we shouldn't be coordinating with social media about what can and cannot be said leading up to the election, we'll still be coordinating with social media. Are you concerned about the Fifth Circuit saying, in effect, that you can't communicate with social media to alert them to threats? Well, of course, as you know, this is the subject of uh, ongoing litigation. Uh, the uh, findings of the lower courts in that litigation uh, are things that are hotly contested uh, through the department's filings. President Trump himself, rightly, uh, in 2018 or 19, uh, issued an executive order on this very subject, calling it a national emergency. Sissy, the Senate Intelligence Committee, on an overwhelmingly bipartisan basis, uh, identified much the same and called for more engagement, more engagement with social media companies, not less. The key, the key is making sure that it's done in the right way. And that's what we're committed to do. Focus on the hidden hand of the foreign actor. 
not on the content itself posted. Okay, well, I wish they would do that, but I don't trust you, and I'm sure that no one else does either. So once again, our administration is staffed. I mean, this is is the American government. It is staffed by people who are just not either good at their jobs or who very often are good at their jobs, but in the wrong way. And meanwhile, Congress continues to debate over Ukraine aid. According to the New York Times, President Biden's urgent push to replenish Ukraine's war chest and send aid to Israel is on the brink of collapse in the Senate, where Republicans are prepared on Wednesday to block funding unless Democrats agree to add strict measures to clamp down on migration at the U.S. border with Mexico. Why in the world is that even remotely controversial? So Democrats will get what they want, namely the full funding to Ukraine. Republicans will get, you know, a border that is not going to be completely open. And Democrats are somehow balking at this. The meltdown apparently took place on the eve of a critical test vote in the Senate on the $110 billion emergency spending bill. And not only made it clear the measure would fail, but severely dimmed the prospects for any bipartisan agreement soon. A vote to block aid would spotlight flagging U.S. resolve at a critical time in Ukraine's war against President Putin's Russia. We're about to abandon Ukraine, said Senator Chris Murphy. Well, you know what you could do is you could just allow there to be border security. You could do that. I don't even understand why this is remotely controversial. Border security, by the way, is being called for by Democrats down at the border. It's amazing that basically Democrats in the Senate are so attached to their open borders nonsense that they are willing to scuttle their own support for Ukraine aid. Senator Lindsey Graham says, count me in on Ukraine. If we don't help get Ukraine and Putin gets away with this, you'll be in a war with NATO. I got all that. You'll get a robust Republican vote for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan if you have real border security. But apparently, they're not doing anything on the border. Chuck Schumer is now suggesting that if the bill fails because of the border, that's on Republicans. Well, here's the thing. Either Joe Biden wants the aid or he doesn't want the aid. Either he thinks it's important for Ukraine not to collapse to the Russians and for Israel to win in Gaza, or he doesn't. If he doesn't think it's that important, then um, I suppose that Chuck Schumer is right, and he will try to blame the Republicans for it. If he thinks it's important, maybe he might try, you know, shoring up the border. Here's Chuck Schumer trying to blame Republicans for what is obviously a Democratic failure here. Let's remember three things as we move forward. One, how important Ukraine is. It's a turning point in Western civilization. This is a historic moment, and this cannot be delayed any longer. Uh, Zelensky, by the way, could not make it to our, something happened at the last minute to our briefing at three, but we'll hear, and you'll hear particularly from Mark Warner, who knows this so well, how desperate Ukraine is for the aid that, that the president has proposed. But it's vital, vital. Second, If this fails because of border, that's not a bipartisan failure. That's a failure of the Republicans and the Republican leadership. The only reason they added border was because a lot of members of their hard right said they want border. But a lot of those same members aren't going to vote Ukraine no matter what is there. I mean, first of all, that's not true. First of all, it's not true. Republicans are saying, why not add border to the package so you have bipartisan support for the bill? Republicans support the Israel aid more than Democrats do. Democrats support the Ukraine aid more than Republicans do. So the idea is the compromise middle is going to be all those things plus border. And Chuck Schumer's balking at that. What is the high priority on leaving the border open? Why, why exactly does he desperately want to leave the border open? This is why people are suspicious of what exactly are the motives over here. Okay, in just one second, we're going to get to Joe Biden making an extraordinary comment with regard to the 2024 election. We'll get to that momentarily. First, if you're not a member, become a member. Use Coach Shapiro. Check out for two months free on all annual plans. Click that link in the description and join us. (laughs) 
Did you know that a baby's heart begins to beat at just three weeks? At five weeks, it can be heard on ultrasound. In some cases, the heartbeat can be the baby's only defense in the womb, which is where Preborn steps in. Preborn rescues 200 babies every day from abortion simply by providing moms with free ultrasounds that allow her to hear her child's heartbeat and see their perfectly formed body in the womb. By six weeks, the baby's eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a baby is able to suck his or her thumb. Preborn needs our help to save these precious souls. For just 28 bucks, you could be the difference between the life or death of a baby. If you become a monthly sponsor, you'll receive stories and ultrasound pictures of the lives you helped to rescue. All gifts are tax deductible. 100% of your gift donation goes toward saving babies. To donate, dial pound 250, say keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby. Or go to preborn.com slash Ben. That's preborn.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. Preborn.com slash Ben. It's the best thing you're going to do today or maybe ever. Dial pound 250, say keyword baby. Start saving children today. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values, and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 